Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show that helps you lead as Christ would have you lead if he were you. Whether you're listening live or one of the many thousands who listen via podcast, it's great to have you along. And if you're new to the show, a reminder the show is available on demand via premierradio.com or via iTunes or Podbean. Now, back in the mid-90s, an approach to church life became popular amongst Christians keen to reach non-believers. With church attendance declining, there was a renewed awareness that our evangelism wasn't working. And many became impressed with a new approach that was working across the Atlantic. It was known as the seeker-sensitive church movement and sought to focus church activities upon those who don't attend church rather than those who do. So Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago and Saddleback Community Church east of Los Angeles were the best known in the UK. A key plan would be that every church was designed for non-believers and typically had no congregational singing because it was not deemed appropriate to encourage people to sing words that were not true for them. And I was researching the topic to write an article for Premier Christianity and spoke with today's guest and decided to invite him onto the show to discuss the challenges we all face helping the local church to be the kind of place where people might find a home and investigate the faith. So his name is Duncan Banks. He's based in Suffolk and he's presently director of a loose network of churches all aiming to create the kind of church the unchurched would want to come back to. So Duncan, lovely to share uh, with you again. Thank you for coming on the show. Hey Andy, I really appreciate the uh, opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Now you're giving a, a broad perspective of the uh, UK church's ability to serve those outside the church when you are working with Salt Mine. So uh, Salt Mine is of course a charity that uh, seeks to serve the church and help them, particularly in mission. You were travelling to churches around the UK. What were you finding when you were going there? Now you're going back a few years, <laughs> <laughs> making me feel old. Um, yeah, uh, it was interesting for me because we worked a lot with the local church. And um, the thing I discovered more than anything else was that the gravitational pull of most churches is to the already convinced, the already connected. You leave the church alone for five minutes and it'll, it'll view inside rather than outside. Um, and I think about that story that Jesus told you and the story Jesus told about the 99 sheep. And uh, the shepherd who's in the pen with the 99 that's sheep right, yeah, realizes yeah. one is lost. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, I just think that's a powerful analogy of, 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 of a leader who's prepared to say, I'm prepared to leave the already convinced and the already going to heaven. And I'm prepared to, to, to go out and find that upside down sheep in a ditch. And that takes a lot of courage in a leader. And I found very little of that kind of courage because most leaders are thinking, hang on. The 99 sheep, they've given me a manse to live in. They're paying my pension. They're giving me a wage. I can't ignore them for the loss. But that's where the adventure lies, Andy. And that's what I never found in those back in those days. Sure, sure. So you moved away from Salt Mine. You, you served as, as pastor of Banbury Community Church for a while. Um, what kind of approach did, to church did you take when you were there? So that was bang in the heart of this seeker-sensitive uh, mm. moment. It was kind of the mid, uh, mid-90s. And, and we didn't want to create church for the unchurched. That was never our dream. We wanted to create a church for church people who wanted to reach their unchurched friends. And that was very, very different. So we did four things. We connected people relationally because we thought to ourselves, the only way someone's going to grow up spiritually is if you connect them relationally. So we worked hard at connecting people through friendships and relational groups. 
We pursued the loss relentlessly. And again, that was a big word for us, this idea of relentless pursuit, because so easily churches just give up and they focus back on the inside. Uh, we also worked hard on leadership. Do you remember Jim Collins? He wrote that kind of landmark book, uh, Good to Great. Yes, indeed, yeah. Um, yeah, and he, he, he talked about in that book, you know, he often said to leaders, you know, what's your biggest asset? And leaders would say, well, it's our people. They're the biggest asset. And he would say time and time, time again, no, 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 no. It's not just your people. It's the right people sitting on the right seats in the bus. So, so we worked really hard in leadership to find the right people with the right talents and right gifts and put them in the right places because everything in church rises and falls on leadership. And if you've got people who are in influential leadership roles and they're not in the right seats, then you're going to, you know, you're going to end up with a disaster. And, and the fourth thing we did finally was, um, we wanted to be helpful, not impressive. And I'll tell you why that was important for us. We discovered that, that people were not after truth. No one was on a truth quest. People wanted happiness. I mean, how many times have you heard a, a mum say, well, I just want my kids to be happy? Yeah. Um, people are on a happiness quest. And people would, we discovered people would keep on attending church, even if they don't believe the stuff that you believe, as long as it's helpful to their lives. Yeah. They're not interested in you being impressive and funny and big stories. And so I changed my preaching. I, I thought I needed to be impressive as a preacher. And I changed my, pre my preaching so that it was less about impressing people with clever stories or sad stories or my biblical knowledge. I didn't want to impress them. I wanted to be really helpful to them. And so people stuck and the church grew. Yeah, that's fabulous. And and I think you mentioned when we spoke before that there was some, you know, if things flourished. There was about 300 or so when you left? We started with six of us around a kitchen table yeah. and we adopted these principles of connecting people relationally, pursuing people who were lost relentlessly and putting the right people in the right seats on the bus and, and trying to be as helpful as we, we could, not impressive. And over about an eight-year period, I think we grew to around 250, 300 people. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, good stuff. Um, now, how, how, you moved on to Suffolk. So how has your work in Suffolk moved the story on for you? Yeah, so I, long story, I won't go into it now, but I moved from... Um, a town called Banbury to very rural Suffolk uh, to work with a church and I've been there for the past 16 years and I came off staff of that church um, about six months ago to, to be the director of this, this new network of churches um, but early on in my time here in Suffolk um, we went to a conference called Drive at this church we'd never heard of called North Point Community Church and it kind of gave me a language all these things I've been talking about in Banbury they've given me a much better thought out model a much better thought out language for the kind of things we were trying to achieve and so over the last 15 years we moved from one location to now having three locations in, in rural Suffolk moved from you know just over 100 people to around 500 people and so we clarified our mission we changed our services to be much more guest centric we prioritized kids work so you know how important that was and it's those kind of things that, that over the past 15 years has meant the church has more than doubled in size. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, which part of Suffolk are we talking? I appreciate not everyone knows the geography of Suffolk, but uh, most people have heard of Ipswich. 
Yeah, it's not far from Ipswich, or as locals call it, Ipswich Town Nil, because that's what most people think Ipswich is called these days. <laughs> well, I'm sure better days are around the corner for, for Ipswich fans, don't worry. <laughs> Listen, I don't even think God's an Ipswich fan, because he's obviously <laughs> taking his hand off that team. They're a disaster. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I loved it. We, when we were talking before, uh, Duncan, you talked about you know the, the old concept of seeker, seeker-sensitive churches was that, that people are seeking Jesus and that all the churches needed to do is is kind of become a bit more open to that fact and to, to be, uh, you know, orienting their their activities around these seekers, you see. And you used a lovely phrase. You just said that people are not seeking Jesus. They, they stumble over him. Can you explain what you meant by that? I think this is, this is all to do with social media and online yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, Andy, but I, I stumble over so much these days that I'm not actually looking for. Yeah. Um, just because of the people I follow on Twitter or Instagram. Um, and the church has got to take this online world so much more seriously. Mm. I mean, you know, the battle at the moment between Amazon and Debenham. You know, Debenham are, are struggling. This, this, this high street shop are really struggling to connect with, uh, with customers, whereas Amazon is, is flourishing because they've understood the power of online. And as yeah. a church, honestly, I think this is the biggest thing I'm working, working on at the moment. I think as a church, we... We need to rethink what we're doing because, I mean, you know, could we be okay as a church with less people attending but more people engaging? You know, could we begin to engage with people for the other 167 hours in their week? So we spend a lot of time trying to engage with them for an hour on Sunday. Yeah. But what if we could engage with them for the other 167 hours? Yeah. You know, what if we thought more about engagement and less about attendance? What if we could start thinking, here's, here's the thing, what if we could start thinking about the church as a digital organisation with a physical presence That's and not cool. a physical organisation with a digital presence? Yeah. How would that change? Because that's where everybody lives online. And yet we think of ourselves as this physical Location that has a few Instagram pictures out there now and again, a little bit on Facebook. What if we sort that around and we thought, no, 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 we're a digital organisation and we have a physical presence that once a week people come into. Yeah. You know, what if we saw social media not just as an activity but an investment? What if we actually saw social media as as discipleship? You know, a way to disciple people and bring them closer to Jesus. I mean, I'm changing the way I again the way I preach. When I ask people to speak, I say to them, look. Um, I, I need you to, to, within your talk, give me a one-minute section that we can record that we can use for social media. Uh, at the end of your talk, I need you to do me three 50-word devotionals that I can, with a nice picture, put on Instagram so that the discipleship continues throughout the week. I mean, what if churches were to say to the preachers, look, every Monday night, you've preached on Sunday, every Monday night... Uh, for 20 minutes, do, I need you to do between 6 o'clock and 20 past 6 or half past 6 on a Monday night, uh, do an Instagram live or a Facebook live um, event so that we can disciple people throughout the week and invest in the 167 hours. And the other thing, I need, sorry pushing on with this. No, this is good. This is good. Keep going. Hmm. I think our target audience has changed. I genuinely do. Because of this digital world we live in, there are three groups, really quickly, there are three groups that, we're, that, that I think the church is needing to work with. Um, there's digital immigrants, which is who I am, people who were born between, uh, before 1970. You know, we weren't born into this high-tech world, but we've migrated into it. So, so I use the Starbucks app just to get points. Um, and I think of myself really cool as I walk up to the desk and I pay with my Apple Pay on my phone because I'm a digital immigrant. I didn't live here. I've just migrated to it. So the other group of people 
uh, people who were born between 1970 and 2000, sociologists call them digital natives. Yeah. You know, they grew up being connected, Wi-Fi enabled. And they laugh at us, digital immigrants who stand in the queue at Starbucks, because they walk past us because in three clicks they've already ordered and paid for their coffee online and they just walk into the shop and collect it. <laughs> it's just a natural part of their life. Yeah, yeah. And the third group that I think we forget about is, is people who were born after the year 2000. My youngest son falls into this category and sociologists call them data natives. So ah. their phones track every move. Their phone knows what they drink. Their phone knows... Yes. Uh, you know, when they want to have a coffee. And so it orders it for them. Um, and and this, this generation want that more and more. There's a guy called Jack Welch, who was the, the boss of um, General Electric. And yeah. so powerful. He said this, he said, if the rate of change on the outside exceeds the rate of change on the inside, the end is near. And our world is changing so quickly in terms of the digital world. And yet we as a church are not embracing that. And so I think the end is near. We've got to think engagement over attendance. Well, you're listening to Leadership Hour with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by uh, Duncan Banks, and we're talking about uh, seeker-sensitive churches and uh, the progress of that into the 21st century. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by uh, Duncan Banks. Duncan is based in Suffolk. He's presently director of a loose network of churches, all aiming to create the kind of church the unchurched would like to come back to. We are talking before the break particularly about the, um, the, the, the new challenges that the Christian church faces with so many of those that are seeking to reach, uh, not particularly interested in uh, physically coming to church, but also but who would stumble over Jesus via uh, the uh, various areas of uh, various options with social media and uh, Duncan was was sharing something of his journey um, as uh, someone who's new to this a digital immigrant as he called himself uh, when actually many of those around him are both digital natives and data natives indeed so um, tell us a little bit um, Duncan about your network of churches you've been in you mentioned you were impressed by this uh, by North Point uh, Community Church in Atlanta Georgia and the the drive conference that you've been to um, obviously Andy Stanley's perhaps the best known uh, of that him being the senior pastor and um, indeed his his father uh, Charles Stanley has um, had a show on premier for many many years um, what do they emphasize and what do you take from their approach the first time I went to North Point, I was blown away, Andy. And I was blown away by what Andy Stanley had to say. The first session, the first few words that came out of his mouth, um, he said this. He said, look, we all have a vision for our churches. Some of them are clever, and you could put them on the front of a T-shirt. Others of them are five or six paragraphs, and they get lost in a, in a filing cabinet somewhere. But we all have an idea of where we want to go. And then he said this. He said, but all churches have a ministry model. In other words, we have a way of doing church. So a vision is you and me say, hey, let's go to the beach for the day. The model, the strategy is, do we go by train? Do we go by car? Do we walk? You know, it's how we get to where we want to be be to. And his phrase was this. He said, listen, your ministry model is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting. Yeah. And so if you're happy with the model of ministry in your church and you're getting great results, then you need to know why you're getting those great results because you're one stupid mistake away from losing all that momentum. But if you're not happy with the results you're getting, maybe you need a new model. And then he went on and talked about what their model was. And it was so simple. It was so trans, uh, easily transferred. 
And it, basically, Andy, it's this. It's these three environments they emphasize. So they talk about the front door, the foyer environment, creating irresistible um, kids' work environments and youth work environments. And, you know, a great journey from the car park right into the, being welcomed into the church uh, and working hard at doing that. So, I mean, you know, you, if you came around my house, Andy, and... and uh, you know, the door was locked and, and uh, there was bits of rubbish in, in the in the hallway and all my underwear was hanging on the radiator to dry. And you think, oh, you're not really, you weren't expecting me. You've not created a very welcoming environment. And yes, church, often we do that. We don't create a welcoming environment for people. And the second environment they talk about is what they call the living room, the lounge. So they move people from this welcoming front door into the lounge and that's where they connect to them with friendships. And they do that through serving. So they very quickly get people to, 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 to get involved with the mission of the church. So they move them from the front door to the lounge, connect them through serving. And the final place, the, the final destination of their model is to get people around the kitchen table. Because if the front door is about guests and the lounge is about friends, the kitchen table is about family. Right, if, yeah. I came around, you know, if I came around your house and you invited me into the kitchen because we're mates, we're, we're friends, you sit around the kitchen table, you give me refrigerator rights so I can just kick stuff out of the fridge whenever I want it. Yeah. Um, so the aim is to get people around the kitchen table in a small group so that they can do life together. And that model changed everything for us. Mm. And that's what we've been pursuing as a church over the past 15 years. Oh, fabulous. Um, which, which area, which rumours have been easiest to work on, shall I say? Well, the easiest, I think, is the foyer environment, creating yeah. a really great welcoming environment. It's hard work, but it's the easiest to get right. Yeah. The hardest, every church leader always says, I need more volunteers. And so to find a strategy, a way of, uh, of gaining new volunteers, of training new volunteers and retaining those volunteers is where you need, I think, to put the most energy and effort, really. Yeah, yeah. So, so Duncan, your role is is very different now from pastoring one church. You, Banbury Community Church, and the uh, you were part of the church. Um, we didn't actually talk about the name of the church that you were working in in Suffolk that grew. What was the name? So I moved from Banbury Community Church to uh, a church called the Forge. The Forge, and the, um, but the Forge had a number of uh, three three locations in the end. Yeah, it did. Yeah, we, we, we doubled in number and, and started to multi-location yeah, yeah. around the area. Yeah. So, so I'm uh, just wondering, from your point of view, you you know you're focused on one place, and now you have a uh, you know kind of a more itinerant or at least an oversight of of a loose collection of churches. How you, how you find that in terms of your own leadership journey and the kind of skills that you need to develop. I tell you what I don't miss, Andy, and that's the, the politics that comes up in church. Sure, sure. <laughs> I've really, it's been quite nice to get away from that. The, yeah. the petty politics you find in church. Yeah, yeah. And the music's too loud. Turn it down. Why can't we sing some of the old songs? I'm kind of glad that, that I don't have to face that. Every day. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Um, but uh, one of the things I, I think um, that I, I miss about working week in and week out in the local church is seeing people take a next step closer to God and celebrating that with them. Because any movement towards God in my book is, is growth. Yeah. Uh, so I remember, I remember one guy who'd not long been a Christian and um, uh, he came to me one day and he said, Duncan, all these people, every time I go to any kind of meeting or any group, all these people pray out loud. And I, I, I can't do it. I just can't pray out loud. And I sat down with him and I said, Brian, you know what, my friend? 
it doesn't matter. You don't need to pray out loud. You will still go to heaven <laughs> if you never pray out loud between now and the day you die. Praying out loud is not an important thing. Don't worry about it. And he really, is that true? I said, yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. The following week I was in a, in a meeting with him and the guy leading the meeting said, uh, two or three of us might want to pray. First person to pray was Brian. Huh? Really short prayer. He just said, Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for this meeting. And thank you for who you are and what you've done in my life. Amen. Oh, really short, simple prayer. But it was like evidence of him moving closer to God and all the pressure had been taken off his shoulders. Sure. And so I kind of miss those you know, day in and day out. Uh, stories because most of what I do now is kind of strategy meetings and helping churches move forward with some of these models that we've talked about. Yeah, I, I mentioned the loose network of churches. You, are you able to share which churches are part of your kind of oversight? Yeah, sure. We've uh, we've we've only been going for six months. We finally landed on a name, uh, which I am so excited about. We're calling our network of churches the Further Faster Network. Okay. And uh, just helping leaders go further in doing this. And there's an urgency about it, Andy. You know, we haven't got long on this planet. And there are people every day who are dropping off life. They're dying and yeah. facing an uncertain eternity. So, you know, so we want to help leaders go further and to do it faster, not wait 15 years for the church mm. to grow. And so our aim as a church is, like you said, as a network of churches, as you said, our aim is to... Um, help create churches that unchurched people just love to come to and even bring their friends to. Um, so there are two Baptist churches. There's Finchampstead Baptist Church and Andover Baptist Church down south. There's, there's a, two Pentecostal churches, one called Life Central Church in the West Midlands, in Hales Owen, uh, and one called Lighthouse Church, which is in Dublin in Ireland. Um, and then there's the church that I'm still part of, although I'm not on the staff anymore, the Forge here in Suffolk. Um, and we did a conference day about 10 days ago, and uh, we've had uh, quite a bunch of churches that have said, look, we're interested in doing this journey with you. So we're starting to connect uh, new partners in to, to do the journey with us. So it's great. It's really exciting. Yeah. So I, I, I obviously the radio show is an opportunity for you to, to say, oh, come and join us if you want to. But it may not be the kind of message you want to, you want to, to portray at the moment. So, uh, you know, what would you say? Church right. leaders listening. Yeah, if you're part of a church, especially if you're a leader in a church and you're not happy with the results that you're getting, I am more than happy to have a conversation with you mm. and to talk to you about what partnership with us might look like and how we can help you to begin to see unchurched people actually turn around and look at your church and think, do you know, I want to come there. And when they come and experience, they want to keep coming back and they want to bring their kids and they want to bring their friends. And I've seen it work over the past 20 years. And I've seen it work in these five churches around the UK and Ireland. And I've seen it work in the US with 120 churches that are all partnered up with, with, uh, with North Point. Um, so I, I'm really happy to have a conversation with uh, some of your listeners if, if it helps them to move their story further forward. Well, thank you. And how would they get in touch? Well, we're right bang in the middle because we've just come up with this name a week ago and we're right bang in the middle of getting all that kind of social media and website stuff sorted out. So at the moment, I've still got my old church um, email address. So that's probably the best way for them okay. to, get, to get hold of me. And that's duncan at forgechurch.com. Any particular books that you'd recommend uh, for people who, for whom that may be a bit of a step too far to, to actually get in touch, but they'd like to do a bit of reading about it? Yeah, I mean, there are two books that have made a big, I think the, two, the books have made the two biggest impressions on my leadership life. The first one is a book that Andy Stanley wrote um, about four or five years ago called Deep and Wide. 
this idea that healthy churches, this is the premise of the book, that healthy churches put down deep roots theologically and spiritually, but they have a wide reach culturally and relevantly, um, and sorry, relationally. And so what, they, what the book does is it goes through um, the, some of the model that I've talked about, some of the ideas that I've talked about, and, and it puts more flesh on the bones. And so that's a, for me, that's a landmark book for any leader who, who isn't happy with the results they're getting and wants to find a new way of doing church that works. And the other, the other book that has made a big impression on me, it's an old book now, it was first published in 1987. Oh, it's a fantastic book, Andy. It's a tiny book. It's a book called Leadership is an Art, or rather, yeah, Leadership is an Art, it's called by a man called Max Dupre. And Max Dupre was a Fortune 100 business owner and he was a pastor of a church. And the reason why it was a big landmark book for me is because in the book he defines leadership in a way that I'd never um, heard it defined before. Um, I've been to a John Maxwell conference, and John, bless him, I would never want to disagree with the great John Maxwell, but he said leadership, his definition of leadership is, is this, he says leadership is influence. And that kind of falls short for me because my dog often comes to me and looks with those sad dog eyes and convinces me to get off the chair and go, go get her a treat or go take her out for a walk. She's very influential, but it doesn't mean my dog's a great leader. Okay, fair so, enough. <laughs> so I think sometimes that just to say leadership is influence, is, it falls short. But Max Dupre, the premise of his book is this. He says, and this is his definition of leadership, it's brilliant. He says, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. And in between, he's a servant. Okay. The first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. I mean, maybe you're a church leader and you're listening to this. Honestly, when did you last see someone come to faith? When did you last see someone get baptized? How has your church grown over the past 10 years? Define some reality. Be honest about it. Don't look at it through rose-tinted spectacles. That's what great leaders do. The last thing they do is say thank you. And in between, they realize they're not too important to put the chairs out on a Sunday. What a great definition of, of leadership. So those two books, I think, have, have been the most influential in my leadership life. Well, Duncan, it's been fabulous to chat with you. Thank you so much for your inspiration and for your uh, insight into this very, very key area for, for church leaders. So thank you. Thanks, Andy. So you'll be listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I was joined by uh, Duncan Banks. Uh, his uh, email address again is duncan at forgechurch.com should you wish to get in touch. Uh, do join us again on the Leadership File next Sunday at 3.30 or via podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apec at cwr.org.uk. Thank you.